With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. The World Championship is upon us again. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, as you listen to this, the qualifiers are getting underway at the English Institute of Sport in Sheffield. They run for 10 days. We'll have the draw uh, a week on Thursday. Uh, we have the media on Friday, of course, the Crucible, April 15, all gets underway. All very exciting. And, of course, the qualifiers best to, back to best of 19s, so uh, restored to what they should be, really, for the World Championship. A lot of interesting matches in there, and uh, you can watch it all live on Discovery+. Plus, Or, of course, go to the venue. If you're around in Sheffield, uh, tickets at £10. Quite reasonable, I think. Uh, so there we are. But uh, in this edition of the podcast, well, later on, we will be, uh, I will be going through the latest emails with some reaction to what's been happening in Hull and to more banal meetings with snooker players. Uh, all, uh, very, all very exciting. But we're, we're going to get to the, the main stuff, which is the predictions of uh, my ITV colleagues, Eurosport colleagues, Neil Folds, Alan McManus and Phil Yates. So uh, pretty self-explanatory. As usual, there's background noise, but people expect that. But here we go, straight into... Our predictions is who's going to be world champion this year. So the world championship is upon us. It's up for grabs now, as Brian Moore said. And if you can hear Brian Moore in the background, we've been trying to turn the telly off, and we haven't been able to turn it off, basically. So if you can hear Brian Moore on the big match we visited, in fact, I can see him now on the telly. <laughs> That's why. But anyway, we're not here to talk about Brian Moore. Um, so, yeah, it's very simple. Uh, we're going to each name a, a main uh, choice for the to be world champion and then maybe an outsider. Neil, I know you've got very firm opinions, so uh, over to you. Well, look, I, I feel that um, I have to tip someone who I think can genuinely win it, and, and I, I know that we, we like to think about a lot of people, but to me, Neil Robertson, I'm sticking with, um, he'd been fancy for so many years to win it, as we know, since he won it in 2010. He's often gone into the, the Crucible um, having won a lot of tournaments. I mean, he's a prolific winner, as we know, and no one's going to argue that point. Um, but he hasn't had a good season at all by any you know standard he's ever set. He's had a very poor season, and it takes me back to when John Parrott won. You know, all those years ago, the game's different now. I get, you know, he was a fresh player coming into the championship. He said because he hadn't really had a very good season, but you knew he had the credential in the class. So there's been a lot of sort of false dawns with Neil Robertson. People have thought, yeah, this is his year, and I've often thought that, but. 
he has had disappointing first round defeats he's not reached the semi-final stages for some time now uh, and I think if he could get through the tournament when push comes to shove he is one of the very best players in the world I think no one could argue that I think you said on, on a previous podcast that he's pound for pound the best player in the world a few months ago and I absolutely agree with that you don't become a bad player overnight and this is a very different beast to everything else that's gone before he's been fancied because of his good form I'm almost fancying because he's been in poor form I think almost for me he almost needs to not play well at the start obviously still win matches but there's been years where he's gone there made like you know four or five centuries just played brilliantly and all the sort of expectation maybe comes on top of him and then he, he doesn't sustain that when Bingham won it he was the opposite wasn't he he started pretty poorly really and then suddenly found form from sort of the quarterfinals onwards I would agree with that but I actually would like to see him playing well at the start because I think he needs to you know he needs to just almost um uh, remind himself what a great player he is if he's in any doubt about that there was a little spell before Christmas where I thought he was really hitting his, his best form when he beat Mark Selby in one of the home nations and then of course he lost to Joe O'Connor in the Scottish just as he looked like he was really hitting form that match with Joe O'Connor I don't know how he beat him Joe played fantastic made an incredible clearance one frame and I thought that was the moment and that was stopped in his tracks and now of course he's not appeared in in the, in the players or the tour events so he's had, a, he's had a rough time of things but I still believe he is up there with the best players in the world and if he's up for this and I certainly would be disappointed if he's not really up for this he's my choice but I guess he's also he's got to get over this sort of thing about the crucible that he's developed whether it's a psychological thing or a real thing it's too cramped or I mean he has won the tournament we must remember that people sort of almost forgotten he's won it he, 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 he does feel inhibited playing there, which seems to be an issue for him. Although, although having said that, he has played some great stuff there. He's played some good stuff there. You know, he, uh, listen, the cruise was no smaller than it was when he won it, and he's won. He's played good matches there on the two-table setup. It's inhibited for all of the players. It's, it's a very odd venue. I mean, anyone that's never been there always say this: you need to get in there, and you'll, you'll realise that we're not just making it up. How tiny it is, and how claustrophobic it can be. But he's won it before, so I, I'm not worried about all that. I, I think. A couple of times he's gone into the championship and he hasn't looked that disappointed to lose. He's lost to Rob Milkins a couple of times. He's had a few defeats. Well, I've had a good season. Well, he hasn't had a good season. So, you know, I'm up for him winning it this year. Any thoughts on Neil Robertson, Alan? Yeah, I, I obviously, I, I, before we started this, I thought one of us is going to pick Robbo for obvious reasons. He's, I, I agree about the pound-for-pound pound thing. Potentially, he's the best player in the world. There's no question about that. And he's got a big chance, of course he has. My first pick, or my main pick, and I've been thinking about this, as I'm sure we all have, in the last month or whatever, and I wanted to pick someone who was showing me good form over a, a period of time, and I think he's arguably, in a way, been maybe the best player over the last couple of years, although he's only won, what, I think, one title, and it's going back a good 18 months or more, is Mark Williams. Last season... He hit the crossbar, the underside of the crossbar actually, in about six or seven massive events. And he should have won. I know could have, should have, would have, all that stuff doesn't really wash. But I just think he could have easily won two or three, maybe even one more. Um, big, big titles, the Masters and all that. I think he's improved as a player since even... 10, 15, 20 years ago he's a different kind of player his technique is absolutely brilliant he's not a kind of swashbuckling player that he used to be I think his cue ball's better than it's ever been 
I also think we were talking last night um, we were out for some food weren't we and I think this tour championship that's going on right now I think a lot of the players in the I mean how can they be on the periphery the Ronnies the Robos the, the Williams the Higgins the Trumps will be sitting thinking these guys are stealing my action yeah, I, I need to start getting really on this you know we've got a couple of weeks before the crucible and I think that's going to be a factor I think a lot of them are going to come in real real hungry Williams will be hungry in my opinion because he always is but in the correct way that he doesn't let it bother him he's got three titles under his belt I think he's a serious contender I also think as a player I've, I've kind of thought about going into this crucible even as, as a top eight seed who do I not want to play Mark Williams I, I, I wouldn't want to play him because you can't get at him yes you can outscore him you can outbeat him you can you know we've seen some performances this week in the Tour Championship like Kyron Wilson six centuries in a match all that business there's lots of guys around that are capable of that Mark Williams is capable of it he's got the record I believe at the Crucible uh, our joint record for centuries um, so he's no slouch in that department I just I, obviously I call him the alley cat and I think he comes into his own at the Crucible and let's not forget he, he could easily have gotten to the final very easily last season and if he did could he have beaten Ronnie I know traditionally Ronnie's got his number but I, I, I just think it, here's the other thing you talk about sessions and obviously there's so many sessions you have to go through is he going to lose a session 7-1 6-2 possibly but I think it's quite unlikely because of the way that he plays I think he's in a good place I think he'll come in fair, fairly fresh I think he'll have good vibes from last year he's obviously got good vibes of, of the three wins albeit two of them were a long long time ago I just love the way that he plays I think he's, he's tailor made built for the Crucible as we know so Mark Williams is my main man very compelling case you made I think with Mark, the thing with Mark well, obviously he won in 2018 which was an amazing thing and that could have been a sort of a last hurrah in a way uh, I think the pandemic has made a difference to Mark I think when that came along and there was a sort of threat of there being no snooker and nothing to play in he'd actually he sort of reassessed things and he'd actually said I'm just going to carry on playing he'll play if he's like 40 in the world he'll just carry on playing because he likes playing and that's a good attitude yeah. isn't it you yeah. know that snooker players can get a bit I don't know what the word is you know they can get a bit uh, but he that's a good thing yeah. the, the, the past and the future is all sorted yeah. I'm going to be a, I have been a snooker player I am going to be a snooker player let's deal with the present and let us say just a, his, his sort of body or volume of work over the last couple of years I think has been exceptional yeah. he's not been in the big finals you know the, 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 the UK and the world and all that stuff I think there's something good around the corner I really do any views on Mark Willis before we get to your choice Phil? I thought about this because obviously you told us uh, you wanted us on the podcast today so I thought about this last night and funnily enough Mark Williams was my second choice it was either Mark 1 or Mark 2 I've run for, for Mark Selby but I think Williams does have the, the ammunition to prevail what I will say is that when I started covering the game in 88 the pre-world championship discussion was about maybe 2, 3, 4 players now it's about 12 or 14 I drone on about this at this time of every season for a decade or so but it still applies it's the most open world championship I think ever because 
No player has dominated this season. No player's had a sustained spell of success. Even Mark Allen, after winning three ranking titles, is now finding it quite tough to find form. But I think both Neil and Allen's choices have got definite cases. Of course they have. My pick would be is very predictable and it's based on form actually. But there are a number of other reasons why I'm picking him. Mark Selby. I think he's going to be inspired. He can win any way, and that's what you need at the Crucible. He can build big breaks. Everybody knows him as the grinder, but he's not just that. He can grind with the best of them, but he can score also. If he's well in front, he can hold a lead. If he's well behind, he can overturn a deficit. Arguably more dangerous. <laughs> exactly. And also, he's got unlimited mental stamina. Now, he showed that at the WST Classic. It was one of the most low-profile events you'll ever have. 100 people into the final day behind closed doors for the rest of it. But look what he did on that final day. He won a best of seven, a best of nine, and a best of 11, all against very good opposition. Now, that tells me... It's a good point you make that because he never, ever lets up, regardless of the tournament, who he's playing. Yeah, Exactly. No, no, you're right. That tells me that he's, he's well-equipped, he's a, a fit individual, he's carrying no weight, he's, you know, just everything about him suggests to me that it could be his year again. And you wouldn't want to play Mark Selby at the Crucible, would you? When his head's right, or when his neck's right, obviously the one year he couldn't play and he had to pull out and all that kind of stuff because his neck was, well, not pull out, but he lost because his neck was bad. But when he's physically and mentally in the right place, he's formidable. And based on the fact that not a lot of other players not a lot of other players have got great form I'm going for him well he's also my pick I mean I was, I was sort of slightly on the fence because I still think Ronnie O'Sullivan you know and we've not mentioned him yet but I still think you know he can obviously win any tour he plays but Selby his, I think one of his great strengths and you can list his snooker strengths and they're, they're as long as you know a pad of A4 all, all the different departments he's strong in but actually it's about him he has got no sense of entitlement at all he is really grateful that he's a snooker player he came from a very tough background it could have been a very different life and he doesn't have that sort of coming in the venue moaning about everything that you know does happen it happens with us by the way not just players coming in sort of looking at things and that could be better that could be better he just loves playing he seems to be in a good place um, you know he's had off table stuff uh, and that has affected maybe form in the last couple of years I, I noticed it in Leicester I was at that tournament and he was he came in he was very chatty and you think yeah things are clearly okay off table uh, he did play really well his record in finals is extraordinary. 20, 19 of the last 21. One of the ones he lost was the shootout. Um, if he's there on the last day, he seems to win. And certainly the one table, I mean, you know, <laughs> you don't, like the, the idea of starting out in the semi finals, session one, I'm playing Mark Selby for three days for four sessions. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, I mean, that, that's just, it's just tough before you've done anything because you know every one of those 33 frames. He's going to be committed. You know what you're going to get, and you know what you're not going to get. You're not mm. going to get chances. <laughs> Kenneth, you know, he's won it. F- he won it four out of eight years from his first two to his, his fourth. Um, but okay, well, let's put Ronnie into the mix. Now, I'm not. I'm not worked out whether this could happen. We've named four players effectively if we put Ronnie in. So the semi. Let's just say the semi-finals are Sullivan, Selby, Robertson, Williams. How does that change the case anyone's made? <laughs> if it's those four in terms of who wins. I don't think so. What I will say, by the way, and this is completely um, uh, different to what we're talking about and who we think will win, 
who you'd want to win. The two players you want to win every year going into the Crucible in terms of giving the game the highest possible profile would be Ronnie O'Sullivan because if he were to win an eighth world ranking title that would be phenomenal for snooker. It would create tremendous headlines and be a real positive. The other player you'd want to win would be Ding Jin Wei because that would expand the game in a massive market like we can't possibly imagine. I think Dave's absolutely right. How can you ever discount Ronnie O'Sullivan? What about the season he never played in one? <laughs> you know, so although he's had a low-key season in terms of ranking events, he has won two tournaments. And if he goes there and plays 75%, watch out. Let me just say one thing, if I could, about Ronnie. And, and it's tempting to pick him. And this was the temptation that I had. I've not picked him. We know about his tip troubles. Forget the tip. It was the feral. It feral problems. It was... It was tapering in at the top. We got a still frame up close shot of it and it was awful. That's fixed. He had that feral on for four years. I, I got that information from someone and eventually it got too thin. And in my opinion, he was losing his cue ball. He wasn't getting any power behind it. You need proper equipment in the modern game. That's now sorted. What could happen in the next month or whatever it is, you know, with the crucible? He could start practicing and all of a sudden when you get proper equipment and a proper feral, it's almost like you've got a superpower hitting the ball. The, the cue ball starts behaving the way that we know he can make it work. And if that happens, he might start having a lot of fun out there enjoying it again. Because he looked like he wasn't enjoying it with that. T I know the tip coming off is one thing, but try and forget that. It's about the feral. He looked like he couldn't spin the cue ball the way that he needs to I think he'll be able to do that now so that's something to throw into the mix with Ronnie let's move on then uh, to uh, sort of outside pick not necessarily someone you think will win but maybe could cause trouble get to the semis you know shake it up a bit Neil well I mean I, I can't look too far outside of the obvious ones I mean first of all when Phil said who would you like to see win it the person I'd like to see win it is Jack Lazowski actually he was well, I would love to see him win it but I'm not I can't really foresee that happening personally he's the one I really would like to do well and I think it'd be great for the game but again I'm going to pick someone that's never won it um, and it, you're going to think everyone's going to groan it's, it's obvious ones really I think Ding Junhui I think he's got a good chance I think um, whether he will actually win it or not what you said about the semis that might might be uh, as far as it goes I don't know also I do like the profile of players that have been in the final before. The, the record of players either in the final before or after they've won it is huge. And he's been in the final and he lost to Mark Selby. He lost a lot of frames early in that final or else he might have been champion that year. But Selby is Selby and, and you've all explained the case for Selby. I couldn't have seen it any differently. Very tough man to beat. I think Ding's playing well. Um, he's just on the back of a heavy defeat. You know, in the Tour Championship to Kyron Wilson, but I don't even think he should take any great disappointment from that. Kyron Wilson played brilliantly, and Ding's back in the 16, which is the first thing I'm pleased about. I think it's great. Uh, I know the year he got to the final, he was a qualifier, but I don't think he's going to be going into the championship short of match practice now, because at times he hasn't always looked very motivated or in real practice. I don't think match practice because he hasn't been playing all that well. You know, you, look, you put him in those home nations, you never see him. He's beaten on an outside table and, and, and he's, you don't even notice he's gone. He's still a great player for me. So, I mean, whether he won the six reds or not, that's, that was just nice to see. He had no bearing on anything. He is. He, he also got beaten in the UK Championship final, the biggest ranking event coming in. So, he's not really a massive outsider, is he? But he's never won it. 
you'd be a good price for the bookmakers, I guess. You know, anyone that, that wants to flutter. Um, I think Ding has some sort of a chance. Well, the thing with, with him this year, I mean, you'd have to, looks like you'd have to play Ronnie round two. Obviously, if you beat him, you know, the, the wave of confidence from that, as we saw in the UK, got to the final. Why not? If you can beat him there, why not beat anyone else? Well, he is somebody that, that could beat Sullivan, given that, you know, he beat him 6 0. Uh, in the UK Championship he's beat him in the world before like you say so while his record against Ronnie isn't brilliant um, in fact he's it's, it's, like most people he's not, not great at all but um, I think he could win it but in my heart of hearts do I think he will win it? maybe not but I think it, as an outside bet he's got a good chance we've been there before with him haven't we? you know I can remember a couple of sessions I think didn't he play Anthony McGill and he was sensational the next day he can't put a ball and that's what the Crucible's about he's a very big beast isn't it you've got to keep coming back for more day after day whether he's got that I don't know but I think he's got a chance OK uh, Alan the, uh, an outsider for you yeah I think Ding's a, obviously a great shout we know about his quality just to touch on that and I, I'm glad actually Neil picked him you know we would all love to see it I'm going to stick close to home and it's not a massive surprise but it's one of the qualifiers if he qualifies is Anthony McGill I believe eight or ten years ago that this guy was going to win the world championship at some stage and I've never I've still haven't seen anything that's going to change my mind I know him really really well I know his game inside out and also funny I'm going to you know not a private conversation but I was talking to Mark Selby the other night and he, he was asking me about Ants so we were talking we were just talking shop and, and Ants came into the um, conversation in snooker terms and Mark Selby absolutely loves him as a player and why not yeah. I just think he's got everything I said 8 or 10 years ago you might even remember Dave, yeah, we're a this, forge. this yeah. guy's game yeah. is built for the crucible yeah. I think he's played every every time in the last 8 years he's qualified something like 8 in a row he's beaten guys like Selby there he's beaten O'Sullivan he could have, should have, would have got to the final let's be honest he, he probably should have the way that he played to come back against Kyron on that uh, Super Saturday, whatever, the semi-final day was incredible. I wasn't surprised. I think I've been... Just in the last few months, I think he's played Sean Murphy three times, and every match has been a blockbusting match. Tons galore, everywhere you look, centuries, and he's just hit the crossbar every time. And I have believed in recent months, if he had gotten past Sean Murphy... He would have gone on and, yeah, I mean, you never know, maybe won the tournament. I just think he's, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think he's got the best technique on the tour, pound for pound, just the way that he hits the ball, how, how still his head is at impact. I think that's something he's been working on. It's a, <laughs> to me, it's about a four or five year plan. And it, as every year's gone past, his head is getting still up and still up. It's just upstairs with Ants. If he can really settle into it, not so much the drop because he's not frightened of anyone. And I'm I, I'm going to let the, the cat out of a, a small bag here as well. I I, I went and had a coffee with Anthony a, a couple, two or three weeks ago, and we were just generally talking. And I said, you know, that was a shame about the Sean Murphy match. You know, he lost four three and blah blah blah. And he, and he said to me, and not in an arrogant way at all, because Ant's just ain't like that. He's, he's just a nice guy. He said, yeah, he said, and, you know, the funny, he, he said, I, I feel like I'm the better player. Not, not, 
compared with Sean necessarily he just kind of meant with everyone and it wasn't arrogant at all because he ain't I'll reiterate he ain't like that he said I just feel like I'm I feel like I'm the best player not in, not in the world I'm not saying that but he he's got an inner confidence that I just love and, and A I hope he qualifies B if he does the draw on that Thursday if and when he qualifies everyone of the seats will, will be thinking please don't give me Anthony McGill I just think he's going to win it at some stage I, I'm never going to change my mind on that I'm such a massive fan of him the way he hits the ball he's not scoring like a top 8 player consistently yet that's the that's one maybe worry but I think if the stars align for him I, I just believe that Anthony McGill has a, a decent chance given he goes in there with good form and Anthony McGill's my second pick OK Phil 46 years of the Crucible picking uh, an outsider as a poison chalice because obviously on the vast majority of occasions a recognisable household name triumphs the occasions where they haven't now I'm not including Graham Dot in this because he'd had previous to the Crucible before you've got Terry Griffiths qualifier 79 Sean Murphy qualifier in 2005 and Joe Johnson in 1986 all outsiders who went on to win the title very different players what was the common bond between them well I'll tell you what it was for those 17 days they were inspirational in very different ways obviously Terry Griffiths measured made a lot of big clearances when it counted Joe potting them off the lampshades Sean Murphy playing the snooker of his life the snooker that a lot of people knew he was capable of but he hadn't produced until that point so you need to be inspirational to win as an outsider in Sheffield. Who could possibly be inspirational? Well, the one player that sticks out to me is someone who's got an appalling record at the Crucible, Luca Russell. He's played there five times, he's lost five times, and yet he's the one player, if he starts to buzz, he could get that inspiration going, that fire, get the catalyst to play his best, and he has won racking events in the past. Maybe he could go deep. You know, He's third, tied third on the all-time list of players who've played most matches in the Crucible and hasn't won one. Cliff Wilson and Rex Williams at top of that list have played eight times each and never got a victory there. So there's no logical reason for me to say Luca Vassell, but if he plays like we know he can, and let's face it, when he's buzzing, he really does buzz, he could possibly go deep. I'm not saying I expect it, but he's got that kind of ability in there somewhere. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Luca. I mean, it'd be great to see him. Well, let, let's hope he can win a match there, because, you know, it's, it must be rotten, the record he's got at the moment. My choice, uh, a bit more experienced, Ali Carter. I think that he's obviously come back to form this season, winning in Germany, and, and, and was runner-up at the, the Players' Championship. He's been in two finals. He played really well both years he was there. Um, obviously lost to Ronnie both times. And he's got that sort of, that bit of a swagger back about him again. You know, he's sort of form and just fallen away a little bit. He loves being involved in a battle, we know that. He absolutely loves it. I always fancy him if he goes close at the Crucible, um, sort of rolling up his sleeves, getting stuck in. Obviously, remember the, the, the victory over Ronnie, but there's been a lot of others as well. Uh, he's just a danger man, I think. Again, you know, there's a certain energy that he creates when you go into the match right from the start. It might be a best of 25, but from frame one, you know he's there, you know, get, getting ready to get stuck in. I don't think he'll win the tournament, I'll be honest, but if he was in the semis, it would be no surprise to me. And, you know, he can cause trouble for anybody. And um, But this is the thing, isn't it? It's been such a strange season, really. We're at the Tour Championship now. 
the, some of the real big hitters are not here. They've got no form to call on. I mean, we've not mentioned Judd Trump. He's not been mentioned in the conversation at all. Um, you, you can make a case for all these players because they're so good, but you can also make a case against them. I mean, Mark Allen has had a great season, but seems to fall in away a bit. It's going to be very interesting. Could there be a qualifier winner? I'm not going to ask you to name one. Could that happen, do you think? If it, it's going to happen, why not this season? You know, I'm a big baseball fan. One of my favourite commentators, sadly departed now, Vinny Scully. World Series game, Los Angeles Dodgers many years ago. They won. It was just incredible how they won the match. And his line at the end of it was just brilliant. And it applies here. In a season of the improbable, the impossible has happened. Now, if the qualifier... Well, I'll, I'll write that down. I like that. Yes, yeah, right. roll that out in the first moment. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. Now, I'm not saying it would be impossible for a qualifier to win. There are a load of people in that qualifier. Stacked, isn't it? I mean, full of wonderful players... It wouldn't be impossible, but I think it would be improbable, even now, given all the shocks we've had this season. One guy we haven't mentioned, I'll just throw into the mix, and I know Neil's a, a massive fan of him, as we all are, that could certainly at least win a match or two there, at least, is Hossein, isn't it? You know, he's got that he's got that nice little touch around the table. I, I, I mentioned the, the, the alley cat thing with Mark uh, Williams. He's got that little thing about him as well, I think. So he, you know, he could, uh, he won't be frightened. I think he would enjoy it. He fancies his bag. He could maybe, you know, spring a couple of surprises. It's one thing saying that, you know, a qualifier is someone you don't want to play. I agree with Alan, actually. If, the, if someone said the qualifier's going to win it this year, I'd probably have to stick with, with McGill um, for the reasons you explained. But it's one thing that, I mean, for instance, Ryan Day's in the qualifiers, you know, and that would be a tough draw. Whether he can win it, I'll, I'll, I'll probably. I'd be pleased to see it, but I don't know um, whether they can win it. Any of these guys? I think there's very few qualifiers that have got any chance of winning it personally, and <laughs> I'm not dismissing anyone because I just know what happens at the World Championships. Because you get the first week, you get the the, the best of nine teams, which feels short. You get into the the two best of twenty fives. That second, that quarter final match, best of twenty five. That's a that's a quite a tough game for players over two days. And then you get into the big one. Don't none of, none of us are going to forget, but no one who's listened to this needs to forget that you then go into a best of 33, best of 35, and that's why I don't fancy any shot winners. Really, I think you know, I think it's there is a shortlist of a few, and you're right. We haven't mentioned Judd, we haven't mentioned Sean Murphy, we haven't mentioned John Higgins. They're they're players that know how to win that, don't they? Obviously, um, yeah. Sorry, Neil. Interestingly. The tips that we had for the main choices are all, they've all already won it. We haven't mentioned anyone who's yet to win it. It is an advantage if you've already won it. It's a big beast of an event, as I said. You know, it, to, to win the World Championships is an incredible feat. But, you know, as Phil says, you know, Joe won it. Yep. Joe Johnson, no one saw that coming. Um, no one saw Stuart Bingham coming because the first week he, he didn't play very well. I think he was under the weather in his early rounds. But as Phil rightly says, someone with a bit of inspiration could turn us around. And we've seen, we saw Leicester win the Premier League, didn't we? And, and no one in their right minds would have thought that. Well, that's the beauty of sport, isn't it? The, you, you, these things can happen. They don't happen every week, but they can happen. That's why we love it. One thing I, 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 Neil mentioned his name there, and I was waiting on one of us mentioning him, is John Higgins. Mm. Um, just touching on the Mark Williams thing, he had a brilliant season, the one before this. John was the same. I say a brilliant season. They didn't win, sil- win silverware, which is what they're all about. It, it was it was thin in the ground. But I don't think that really bothers them. They've got all that in the satchel from the last 25, 30 years. So that's, that's done and dusted. I think John 
is playing awesome I've heard on the grapevine about one or two changes he's made he won the Championship League I know it's small fry I know it's a behind closed curtains event kind of thing but that doesn't really wash with John John just sees a snooker table and does what he does best regardless of the uh, tournament and the occasion and all that stuff I think he's is gonna, he is going to have a big say Be, a bit like Mark Williams he comes in a wee bit under the radar and I think that might be good for John this year there's no oh you know it's been a good season it's been a long season it's not been a long season he will be getting busy right now on the practice table I can guarantee it with that thing that he's working on I don't know what it is but I know that he's playing really really well they, they talk about centuries we're all stat guys the top guys have all had like 40 centuries this year or thereabouts John's likewise and he hasn't threatened at any tournament that tells you that there's still a lot of good form in there and what, what he doesn't know about the Crucible ain't worth knowing What about these players' ages though now I mean obviously I, uh, Mark Williams I think has got a good chance like you say but he's a 48 year old now John will be 48 uh, in, in just after the championship and then there's Ronnie of course who's not at that age yet but he is a little bit of an exception I mean I, I agree with you about Mark Williams um, but for that bad first session last year he was one of the best players there in that semi-final against Juddy he had a terrible session on the back of a really gruelling match against Yan Bing Tao that he won and, and I just wonder if age at some point well it is going to catch up with these guys isn't it that's the only downside for all the, the class of 92 it can't go on forever that's all I'm saying no we're going to wrap up now my feeling on, on John I don't think he'll win it but I think he could stop some of the other people we've mentioned winning it I think he could knock some, <laughs> some of them out and that's that's obviously you know a danger for them we've not mentioned Karen Wilson who's lighting up the tour championship Sean Murphy's had great, a great season it's going to be great because it's always great because it's the world championship we're all working for Eurosport and Discovery Plus Alan and Neil are right at the start of the qualifying uh, from, from Monday Phil will be involved in that as well and then obviously on, on the main Eurosport channel as well right with the 15th we're all excited yes let's get it on big time wow you are excited <laughs> and on that bombshell thank you to the guys thank you to Brian Moore as well always great to have a broadcasting legend on the podcast and yeah <laughs> the world championship is here so enjoy it everybody yeah, so thanks to the guys for their uh, insight and analysis, and of course so you can enjoy, as I say, there the World Championship, of course, on the BBC as well. But uh, we, we're not working for them; we're working for Eurosport and Discovery Plus. Now then, uh, we, of course, we tour championship um, has been ongoing. I'm recording this on the day of the final, so Sean Murphy's playing Karen Wilson. I don't know who's won. Uh, one of them will, <laughs> but uh, of course, a lot of talk. And I did have the midweek sports special where I touched on uh, what I felt were some of the mistakes that have been made in terms of actually promoting this tournament. And Joanne writes, because Joanne lives in Hull. So Joanne writes, Thank you for your amazing work that you do to promote the sport I've loved since being a little girl. I used to watch back in the 80s with my dad and brother, and I've loved it ever since. Your podcast is fantastic, and I listen always on my way to work. Thank you, Joanne. My brother and I usually go to the Crucible once a year to take my dad to watch the sport we love live. As soon as I found it was coming to my hometown back in December, I jumped at the chance to buy tickets. I have tickets for the last five sessions of snooker from Friday evening. I'm excited. So this is in Hull, of course. <clears throat> Joanne says, uh, Obviously the poor crowds have been disappointing to view. The point you made on it being too expensive is true. We're in a cost-of-living crisis and struggling financially. If people could, if people are going to any of the matches, they'll probably choose the latter stages. Believe me, if I could have afforded all 14 sessions, I would have been there. If WST had done a special offer for the quarterfinals, having seen the low crowds, such as two-for-one or seats for a tenner, and shared on social media, maybe those empty seats would have been filled 
with thankful people watching this amazing sport. Surely it would have been better than the reality of a poor atmosphere. The stars such as Ronnie, Judd, Higgins, etc. would have had some impact on people travelling to see the eight announced, but die-hard snooker fans would not care. Yes, it's nice to see them play, but it would not stop me attending either. Murphy, Selby, Allen are amazing in their own right. The matches that have been played so far have been very entertaining. I guess, though, there are people who only watch snooker when certain players play, and I think that's a shame. Snooker should be the ultimate winner. There's been absolutely no promotion within our city centre. The only reason I know is because I get emails on all events coming to the bonus arena. This is an amazing venue, by the way, and bigger than it looks on TV. When filled, it creates amazing atmospheres. I feel sad that because of the low crowds, snooker will not come to Hull again, and that is a shame. We do have snooker fans here, me being one of them. It's not just a town who likes rugby. I feel very lucky to have been introduced to this sport at an early age and now have introduced my children to it. In fact, they're coming with me to the final. I intend to join, enjoy the five sessions from Friday evening onwards and hope revenue improves. I'm sure it will. Well, thank you, Joanne, and uh, I'm glad that you're coming. And the, what, what you say, obviously, that's your personal experience living in Hull. You understand the area, you understand the economy. As I say, I think the big mistake that was made was that they priced the tickets the same as Clandidno. And, and to be fair, if you speak to people from World Snooker Tour, they have privately admitted that they did make mistakes. And the shame is actually the crowd started to fill up from Friday onwards. It's been good. Uh, the tournament really came to life, I think, on Thursday. We were obviously Ryan Day's maximum. He had the 16 red clearances. Well, we had some good matches. Obviously, Saturday, Murphy Selby, that was played in front of a huge crowd. And the final is virtually sold out. So... You know, it's not all that bad, but the problem is, I guess now, what happens next year? Is it is we just going to say, well, it didn't work in Hull? Because actually, with a bit of a nurturing and a bit of more sensible ticket pricing strategies and more promotion, it could work there. As you say, it's a great venue. You, you know, maybe you need to give these places a bit of a chance rather than just saying, well, we came, it didn't work. It kind of, in the end, sort of has worked, actually. Um, I think the venue's good, the crowds have been good in the last few days, and, you know, it's only our first year here, so. It'd be nice to give it another go, but we'll see. Um, we'll see. <coughs> well, let's get on to more mundane matters. Uh, no offence to Brian McGovern, who's written in this email, but he says, uh, just a quick question. I'm currently watching the Tour Championship semi-final between Karen and Ding. It's currently 4-0. What's the highest score players manage without reply? I remember the Players' Championship in 2021. John Higgins beat Mark Selby 6-0 and only dropped seven points. Uh, I enjoyed the podcast today, but greetings from the Emerald Isle. Well, Points without reply, the record in terms of uh, unanswered points is 556. That's Ronnie O'Sullivan against Ricky Walden at the Masters. In a ranking event, it's 547. That's Stuart Bingham against Sam Baird at the China Open 2016. That record has gone up over the time. It was in the 400s at one point. Um, 556, I mean, obviously, that's that's an absolute demolition job. <laughs> that match didn't last very long at Ali Pali. Ronnie O'Sullivan just on, on fire that afternoon. Uh, poor Ricky just had to take it. But, um, of course, it, it, in terms of beating that record, you can only really see it beaten in a long match, such as a best of 17 or a best of 19, just because you need so many frames um, and score heavily in each frame. John Higgins, as you say, dropped seven points, but within that, obviously, um, the, the points that apply record wasn't beaten. But anyway, I hope that answers your question. Uh, now, Phil writes... And we're going back... Again, this is not not, not the most... Brilliantly planned podcast, but we're going back to the Tour Championship after that slight diversion. Phil says, I only recently found your podcast and really enjoyed listening to the episodes ever since, so I thought I'd take the next step and contribute with a message. I actually live in Hull. So another person who lives in Hull can tell us what's not going on on the ground. He says, I actually live in Hull, so I've enjoyed periodic trips to York and Sheffield to get my live snooker fix. 
as both are relatively close by. I was therefore excited when the tour champs were announced in my home city. I immediately bought tickets for the final and also attended with one of my colleagues for the entire day on Thursday. I must say my workmate came over, especially from Finland for the occasion, with the aim of mixing business in the UK with pleasure, i.e. attending the snooker. It was his first time at a live snooker event, which he claimed was on his bucket list. So he was very lucky to witness Ryan Day's 147 in only his third frame. I reminded him not to get used to such feats. I'm currently watching the Selby Murphy semi-final on TV, and it's good to see a healthy crowd after a shaky start to the week. I'm probably biased, but I think the Bonus Arena is a very good venue with a good setup, especially for one table. The main standard permanent seats work well, and in my view is far superior to temporary seats and the small tiers at the side of the table had exceptional legroom. In your lab- last podcast, you did touch on possible reasons for the initially poor attendances, and I can confirm that the promotion has been poor, and unless you follow WST on social media or look up the bonus arena's event listings, the championship will probably pass you completely by. I don't necessarily think the tickets were particularly overpriced, but obviously some of the big names not qualifying, as we might have expected, was a bigger contributing factor, in my opinion. Arguably, though, the semi-finals and the final contained a set of big hitters, like you might expect to see in the latter stages of a tournament. Having also attended the senior events we had in Hull, I must say that these have been much better promoted before and during the event. I hope WST give Hull a chance again next year and maybe learn a few things with the prospect of greater things to come. <clears throat> Thank you, Phil. Well, that's going back to what I was saying, really. You know, do, do it would be nice to give Hull another chance and do things a bit better next year, I guess, um, having learnt the lessons and the mistakes from this year. Uh, it could be a great success here because it is... You know, it is a kind of snooker place, a snooker area. Um, so we'll see. Um, I have to say, from what I've heard, I don't think it will be coming back. But that's not to say there won't be another tournament maybe brought here at some time. Now, of course, we're into World Championship mode now with uh, the great tournament. It's a month-long event now, really, with the qualifiers as well. It'll be 27 days of snooker. <laughs> you know, it's plenty. And uh, Shannon Blewett has written in uh, to say the following... With the World Championship very much now on the horizon, I thought I would share with you my personal experience of attending as a spectator. A bit of background, I've been a snooker fan for most of my life, and although often thought of attending the World Championships, it was until my late 30s, and specifically the 29 Championship, that I actually made the effort to purchase the tickets and put the, put the logistical plans in place. I went with a friend, also a first-time attendee, and in the run-up I decided to chance my arm and tweet Stephen Hendry with a request for a, restaurant, a restaurant recommendation in Sheffield. Sure enough, he replied, so of course we booked the restaurant, for a first night stay. Lo and behold, as we arrived at the restaurant, shortly after, in walks Dennis Taylor, followed by John Virgo, Ken Doherty, Stephen Hendry and Joe Yulong. After a quick chat with all of them at the bar, we had a group photo taken, and reminding Stephen Hendry this was booked on the, his recommendation, he commented, he just hoped we enjoyed it. It was a short experience, but how lucky to bump into these icons of the game and get some time for a chat. Show you Long's an interesting name in that list, isn't he? <laughs> With the BBC commentary team. Anyway, he says, As if that wasn't enough, next morning, as we brought a coffee before entering the crucible, in walks Alan McManus, who happily obliges for a photo. We sat outside the coffee shop to have our drinks, as the weather was so pleasant, and Alan pops over and asks if he can join us, as the other tables were occupied. We had a really enjoyable chat with Alan, and he was so keen to hear we were first-timers, and we were certain we would enjoy it immensely. Well, needless to say, Alan was right. And other than COVID getting in the way, we've gone back, taking others along with us. The plan is to make a traditional journey up from the southeast to Sheffield every April, May. My friend is turning 40 in April this year, and I really hope we'll bump into Alan Manus again, as he was such enjoyable company, and seemed like he was a really genuine person. Who knows, maybe we'll be lucky enough to bump into you as well. Anyway, if anyone listening in has thought about attending and hasn't got round to it, then I can only encourage them, as from my experience with even without bumping into famous snooker people, it is well worth it, and there's a real buzz around Sheffield to take in and enjoy. 
Thank you, Shannon. Yes, well, Alan, uh, you know, he, 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 he probably go to that coffee shop now. He's probably sat there waiting for you. So, uh, uh, if you see me, then by all means, uh, say hello. Uh, <coughs> yes, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, it's not just about the snooker. It's about the kind of experience of going to the snooker, Sheffield. That is one thing that I think a lot of people feel. They meet up with friends. They might may only see them, you know, only that time every year. But it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a pilgrimage, really, and it's a it's a sort of festival atmosphere, I suppose. Just back to the tour championship, <laughs> sort of zigzagging around things. But anyway, Simon Simon Ogden has written in. He said, "I happened to notice during his recent one four seven at the tour championship that the pink did not move during the frame. I don't recall ever seeing the red separate that much without the pink moving, and I can't recall a one four seven without that happening. I know many commentators also make the comment about one four sevens that the pink's never on the spot when clearing up the colours." Without watching all 186 previous ones, I can't be sure, but do you recall another time this has happened? I recall ones where the pink only moved marginally, but none where it stayed on its spot. Well, it's a good point, Simon. We were talking about this in, in, in the ITV green room, and, I mean, we can't remember another one where it happened. Now, obviously, we haven't seen every one. Some of them have not been televised, so there's not a person alive that's seen every one for seven. But we can't, we put it this way, we couldn't think of another one where the pink hadn't moved, so... Uh, Good spot, I think, and you can watch the uh, the whole one four seven on the ITV Snooker Twitter account. They've got the the over a camera and the sort of um, it's sort of speeded up. You can watch every shot. It's fascinating actually, watching it from above. And, and Ryan Day, I mean, he'd done nothing in the match at all. He was two 0 down. Had done nothing basically. I think he potted two balls, but some of the shots he pulled out were fantastic. And all right, he didn't progress in the tournament, but he's going to remember that for a long, long time. Phil Spivy writes. I've been really enjoying your podcast, catching up with back episodes. One thing that's often mentioned is the much-missed Goffs, which hosted the Irish Masters. It's obviously only suitable for the one-table setup rather than the full-scale open ranking event. Got me thinking it would be ideal for an event such as the Champion of Champions or the Tour Championship. It could be a perfect solution for both venue and tournament and could further elevate either event into being seen as a real major event. As ever, it depends on money, broadcasters and the usual logistics, but could it work? Really enjoying the Tour Championship this week. Just settling down for the Wilson Ding second session. A somewhat nerdy and niche observation. Well, you've come to the right place, Phil. I think ITV Score Graphic is the best among the UK channels that show snooker. Nice big writing, easy to see the white lettering on the black background. Keep up the good work, roll the crucible. Well, I'll pass that on. I'm sure the graphics people will be happy with that. But in terms of your substantive point about Goffs, it's a rather romanticised venue, and there's a reason for that. It was quite a romantic venue. It was... Uh, I was talking to Ken about it uh, this week because he was actually he used to work there before he played there and he, he was on duty as a steward when uh, that rancorous match between Dennis Taylor and Alex Higgins after Higgins had threatened to have Dennis shot. Uh, extraordinary. They were, they were reselling the ticket stubs because there was such demand for, for people there. Um, the problem with Goffs is twofold, though. If you take a strip away the romance, one is it's hard to book because it is a show ring. It's not a sporting venue and it's, uh, you know, it, it has a sort of a proper sort of function as a, as a, as a you know, a, sh- a show ring. And the second is, it's actually not great for telly. The roof's too low. The backstage facilities are, are not very good. Um, if you watch the old Irish Masters, the table looks sort of 20 foot long because because of the angle of that sort of main camera, uh, because the roof really isn't sort of high enough for uh, a, tele- a snooker tournament. So that's what counts against it. What counts for it is players certainly loved it. And, uh, you know, it does have a, it's one of these venues that has a certain cachet. As does, by the way, the Preston Guildhall, which a couple of weeks ago reopened. It had been mothballed 
really ever since Ronnie O'Sullivan made that thousandth ma- maximum break at the uh, last round of the 2019 Players' Championship, it's reopened. And uh, I personally would love to go back there because that really does have a history and a name in snooker and, uh, and a very um, loyal sort of fan base in that area of the country. Um, Phil, by the way, is putting an addendum on here. He says, just another point. I've always found the rule where a player forfeits a frame for fa- failing three times to strike an object ball that can be hit full ball. Uh, the players and crowd are deprived of a frame of snooker. A better option, in my opinion, would be to offer the other player ball in hand after the third unsuccessful attempt. This still gives the non-offending player a huge advantage and allows the crowd to, to get what they came to see, a full complement of frames in a session. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, actually it's quite sensible, I think, that. Because, like you say, you don't just lose... The frame doesn't just end, but you've still got a massive advantage if you're coming to the table. So, I'm, I have to say, I don't go to bed at night you know, angry about the misrule. I don't, I don't really care either way, to be honest. <laughs> I, I know that's not... Maybe you shouldn't say that on a snooker podcast, but I've got nothing against your solution. If they brought that in tomorrow, I wouldn't lose any sleep over it, put it that way. Uh, now then, we, we, of course, we, the sensation on the podcast is this uh, this new series of uh, banal meetings with snooker players. Uh, so we're going to have a few of those. Oh, before that, by the way, I must correct one thing I said last time. And Marcel Eckhart... Uh, great referee, one of the very best. Listen to the podcast, and um, we had a question about: uh, c- Can you, uh, if a miss, if you're, po- if the miss has been called and you're considering whether to take it, can you clean the cue ball? You know, how much time can you clean the cue ball? If you've done that, can you still put the other guy in? How much time can you take? It turns out there is no time limit, so you could do that. I kind of went, came down the other side of the fence, but obviously <laughs> Marcel knows the rules because he's a referee, and apparently you can take basically as much time as you like to make up your mind so you can have the cue ball cleaned um, and, and essentially there's no time limits uh, so just to clear that one up um, now then Stephen Forbes writes uh, if broadening the scope from banal meetings with snooker players to banal meetings with snooker referees is allowed <laughs> now this is niche stuff then from a listener's perspective I have an instantly forgettable anecdote to share although it was an unforgettable experience for me at least several years ago whilst at the World Championship in Sheffield I felt an overrunning morning session. Uh, sorry, I left an overrunning morning session with a frame still to play as I had to rush back to the hotel to deal with a business matter to then rush back again to the crucible for the afternoon session. On my way back to the venue, I noticed fellow Scotsman Leo Scullion crossing the road in the opposite direction. He had been refereeing the morning session I'd just been to. I said to him that I'd enjoyed the session and the long safety battles as we were now heading to the crucible for the afternoon session. Leo replied that if I'd enjoyed watching it on the television, then I was in for a real treat while watching it live in person. I didn't bother explaining to to him that I'd in fact been there in person that morning. Instead, I simply said, it's great to see him looking so well and to enjoy the rest of the tournament. We then exchanged a typically Scottish cheers pal, all the best, and went on our opposite direction, in our opposite directions. As I mentioned, banal, but memorable from my perspective. I'm heading back to Sheffield again this year and will be taking my partner Michelle for a first ever live snooker experience at any venue. What's more, we have tickets for an evening session of a semi-final We'll be sitting right behind one of the players in row C. We're both absolutely buzzing. I can't wait to arrive in Sheffield that morning after planning to leave Glasgow at the crack of dawn. We're looking forward to soaking up as much of the tournament atmosphere as we can. Furthermore, I mentioned to Michelle, we'll purchase the headsets and we'll be tuning into the channel broadcasting the Eurosport commentary. If we're lucky, we'll get to hear your dulcet tones, Dave, while sitting in the crucible in view of the commentary box, which would clearly be the highlight of the trip. Certainly was for me in previous trips, banal meetings with referees aside. Now you raise an interesting point here, Stephen, because I don't think you can get the Eurosport commentary on those headsets, can you? I don't I don't think there is a choice. I may be wrong about that. 
I was always I always thought it was the host broadcaster, the BBC in this case. Um, but if you, I don't know, then maybe uh, things may have advanced without me knowing. But uh, anyway, I, you can tell us, I guess. <coughs> and uh, Stephen says, in all seriousness, we feel privileged to be attending a session at the Crucible. I'd like to wish you all the best for the tournament. I know how exhausted you are each year when it concludes. However, your preview podcast really do crank up the anticipation and your post-tournament review always does the World Championship justice. As Michelle and I are both Scottish and both Celtic fans, we'd love to see John Higgins in the semis and for him to go all the way. Failing that, as I've mentioned in previous correspondence, I'm a great admirer of Sean Murphy. In fact, for us, uh, to, to be there for a Higgins-Murphy session would be the perfect scenario. But as you know, seeing any two players at such an iconic venue for the one-table setup is always special. Thanks for everything you do for Snooker. I hope you take a step back every now and then to reflect on the role this podcast and your commentary has in keeping so many of us engaged and entertained over the years. Best wishes from the west coast of Scotland, Stephen and Michelle. Very kind words, Stephen. Thank you. Um, and uh, you're right, I am exhausted. I'm exhausted before it starts. <laughs> the WST Classic. That was a knacker. But anyway... Um, but thank you, and I uh, hope you enjoy it. I'm sure, well, you will enjoy it. And as you say, it doesn't really matter who you see. It's the Crucible, it's the World Championship, and uh, great that you're going to be there with your tickets. Now then, uh, I hope Michelle enjoys it as well. Now then, uh, more more tales of meeting people. Now, Steve Hooley is claiming credit for the, this whole feature. Uh, he's the sort of John Logie Baird of, uh, of this. He says, it's me, the man who inadvertently invented your massively successful feature, Meeting Snooker Stars and Banal Conversations. Good news, I can take you to the next level. I remembered that when attending the World Qualifiers a few years ago at Ponds Forge in Sheffield, as I was leaving the car park to get into the venue, this chap came through the door. It was Robert Milkins. We exchanged a manly nod of acknowledgement and continued on our way. So there we are, meeting snooker stars and non-verbal communications. You're welcome. I know the podcast is not awash with cash. <laughs> you're, not, you're not kidding. <laughs> so I was thinking, what, you, what with your connection, perhaps a ticket for the World Final would be appropriate recompense for my contributions. Well, you know, check, check the post daily, Steve. I mean, nothing will come through it, but, but check it anyway. Uh, now, Donald O'Gorman says, I've never emailed you or indeed any podcast before, but I've been listening to yours for a couple of years now, and I like your style of broadcast and the self-deprecating way you carry yourself. You've been doing segments of people meeting players and their experiences, and I just thought I'd share one with you. Five years ago, for my 50th birthday told my wife and family I didn't need anything as a present, that I, I had everything I needed in them. A bit, of, a bit of Irish charm coming out there, Dave. Anyway, on the day of my birthday, they handed me an envelope, and in the envelope was a sheet of paper telling me they'd organised a session of snooker for me with Ken Doherty on his table in the hotel he practices in, in the, in the Stillorgan, Dublin. Now, when I say they couldn't in their wildest dreams have come up with a better present, I'd actually be underplaying it. I was thrilled. I brought my son, son along, and I have to say how much he enjoyed it what an absolute thorough gentleman Ken was. I'm about the same age as Ken, and I played and still play a lot of snooker, although not nearly to the same level. Some of my friends were good, though, and would have played Ken a few times in those days, and he remembered every one of them, which proves, I think, how down-to-earth a normally is. Myself and my wife have been to the last few World Championships, and this year, as we did last year, are going over twice. This year we have tickets to the semi-finals and final, and we can't wait. P.S. I'd love to see my neighbour, Sean Murphy, win the World Championship this year. He's a good bloke. Tends to put his foot in his mouth a bit, but he seems genuine, and I love the way he plays the game. Well, thank you, Donald. And, I mean, Ken, you know, uh, it doesn't surprise me. I think Ken, probably more than anyone, is the most, as you would expect him to be, from how he comes across. He's that person, friendly, positive, fun, a good guy, and uh, one of the finest ambassadors Snooker has ever had. Key phrase you put there, down to earth, 
you know, he doesn't put himself above people. Um, he has time for everybody. He's a people person. He likes talking to people. Not everyone does, <laughs> but he does. And, um, yeah, just a good guy. And I'm, I'm delighted that you had uh, a good time there with that present. Uh, it's dangerous, by the way, saying to people, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't buy me a present, because sometimes they don't. <laughs> but I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that on this occasion they did. Now then, Ian McCohen, I'm going to say. I have three stories of meeting players. One, Joe Perry. I, I was waiting around to enter an arena, but unsure, but unsure where it was. I'm going to start this again. I don't quite. I was waiting around to enter an arena, but unsure it was, uh, and bumped into Joe Perry. I asked for his signature, and he did sign, and then asked, Do you know where the players need to go? And I already found that out as I was waiting for more players. <laughs> Number two, Andrew Higginson, who I follow as I live nearby. Uh, was at a local shop. My, <laughs> this is a great sentence. I'll read it again. Andrew Higginson, who I who I follow as I live nearby, was at a local shop, and my voice went so high pitched on saying "Hi, Andrew." <laughs> at number three, and Andrew Higginson again. When I, he helped me when I watched him and Steve Davis play, I asked Andrew, even though he beat Steve, if we would get a, an autograph, and he did. And then the three of us walked out to the venue to our cars. Well, that's that's the classic sort of. Uh, this is exactly what we want. Because nothing of any substance has happened. <laughs> but you've still met snooker players, and that's good. Which is what, exactly exactly the sort of thing we're after. Ian has also contributed uh, another on another topic. He said, uh, I listened to your podcast a long time. The last one really hit the spot with me. The lack of publicity at certain events, apart from Sheffield, is awful. I feel World Snooker Tour need to spend money to make money. More publicity, more revenue. I also feel that certain venues need to keep a tournament at the venue, if that makes sense. Also, the northeast and northwest are lost in having any tournaments. Also, abroad, Giorgio is, is Cypriot, Belgium has a good amount of players, let's use this. I also feel that the shootout needs to be a party at, in a party atmosphere area. Uh, thank you for reading, I hope it gets on the podcast. Well, it did. Yes, I mean, you know, you're, you're leaning against an open door, I think this is a, an issue. What I will say is this, okay, uh, there is an acknowledgement privately at World Snooker Tour, and there is a, it's important to stress this, there is a change now. We've had the Barry Hearn era, which was a pretty golden era for snooker, took over in 2010, retired a couple of years ago. There's been a sort of transition where, in the last couple of years, the people running snooker have been running it along the lines that Barry did. But they're not Barry. Now, we're moving towards another phase where they're actually going to run it how they feel they should run it. I.e. not sort of fall back on what's already been done, but try and find new ways, more modern ways, to promote the sport. And I do feel, and as one of the players said to me after that players' meeting... I do feel the new people should be given a chance to implement these ideas. We're hearing about three to five year plans rather than just sort of muddling along each season. We're still waiting for the calendar, for the new season, as I say. It seems it's going to be announced at the World Championship. But moving forward, you know, there's going to be, I think, a few changes and a few new ideas. But I think that's what snooker needs. That's what any sport needs. And um, the, the new people need to be given a chance to present their ideas and implement them. Um, so I'm not I'm not pessimistic by any means about the future. I think that uh, people at least have ideas to change things and not just keep doing things as they've always been done because the life moves on, the media environment, the, the sort of broadcast sponsorship environment moves on and Stuka needs to move on with it. But in, <laughs> in terms of the venues, I do feel that that is one of the most important things that they focus on, establishing venues for these tournaments and sticking with them so that these events you know, build up their identities. I think that's what's required. Uh, now, Jarrow Warman, 
uh, in Minnesota. He says, greetings from your original American correspondent. I continue to enjoy your excellent podcast. Thank you, Jerry. It seems to me that the player who gets a one seven loses the match more often than not. Does anyone have a statistic on that? Inquiring minds want to know. P.S. It saddens me to report I was unsuccessful in my plans to attend a tournament this season. I was really looking forward to meeting you and or Mark Selby. Well, it's a shame, Jarrow, but we hope to see you soon. Uh, I haven't gone, I haven't gone through the list of uh, players who make a one four seven and lose, but it's quite long. However, I'm not sure. I'm not sure you can necessarily always say that's the reason, because. For example, Ronnie O'Sullivan made one in China once against Elias Slesser. Ronnie didn't play well that day, but he just got it together for one frame. But getting it together for one frame, you know, that's not a, a consistent performance. It's just one moment of magic. Um, Ryan Day, to an extent, was a bit, little bit like that against Mark Selby this week at the Tour Championship in Hull. You know, he didn't sustain a consistent performance. He started to play really well, actually, when he was trailing, but didn't start well. Um, so I'm not sure, what I'm saying is I'm not sure necessarily you can blame the maximum for losing. It can affect focus. Um, I've done a piece actually in the World Championship Programme about 40 years of maximums at the Crucible since Cliff Thorburn's first in 1983. So if you get the programme, you can read that. And I spoke to Stephen Hendry and Neil Robertson for the piece. And Stephen, he made one famously at the, the one table, the only one we've had at the one table set up, semi-finals against Jimmy White in 1995. And he lost the next three frames, and he said he was absolutely furious. <laughs> they he said they tried to set up one of those pictures, you know, where they put the, the balls to, to sort of spell out one four seven on the table, and he just blanked them. He didn't have anything to do with it because he was furious that he lost those frames because his focus had gone. And of course, Neil Robertson last year against Jack Lazowski, that happened in the final session of their second round match, and he said he really had to work hard on his concentration. He'd had this huge moment. His mother was there, you know, it was a massive moment, and he's a great student of history. Neil, you know, he's a, he loves being part of all that sort of stuff. Um, and why wouldn't you? But Neil Robertson said he, he had to sort of try and compartmentalise, I can't say the word, you know the word, compartmentalise, that's it, um, what he'd done because he still had a match to win, which ultimately he didn't win, but I don't think he lost it because of the maximum. Um, but anyway, that, if anyone can fill in the gaps of that list. What I'm saying really, Jarrow, is I can't be bothered to work it out. <laughs> At least I'm being honest. Uh, now, uh We're going to... Mark Williams, but not that one. Um, we've got a couple of emails left before I've got to go to the final today. What a great response last week, as always, regarding the Ronnie Steve Dawson comments. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to your speech on the subject and your impartial viewpoints. I've listened to a few different snooker podcasts on the subject now and have my own view on things, which I'll simply try and explain from my own work experiences. In any workplace, there are usually almost always small rifts and gripes, which people ha just have to try to bear or moan about and just get on with it. There are also the bigger issues in which people have to approach their superiors to try and resolve or at least bring to their attention. In both of these instances, people on the outside, not connected to the business, think everything is fine and the business is running smoothly. It's when serious issues appear, the wider public hear and it hits the headlines. This brings damage to the company. The current snooker situation is brought to the wider audience and those out with the sport, i.e. the workplace, that there are multiple issues within. Whatever your viewpoint may be, it cannot be denied that problems exist and are big enough to boil over for the general public to hear of. This needs to be addressed in an appropriate manner before irreparable damage is done. Steve Dawson needs to start leading from the front and not from behind. Let's get back to a normality where the gripes and issues are kept in-house and are of the smaller, more normal manner. As an avid fan, I'll always love the sport, but there does seem to be quite a lot of bad press around. Let's hope the betting and match-fixing stop for now. Surely nobody can think in this day and age that it's possible to get away with it on the longer term. 
possibly as a one-off. Uh, forgive me, I've, lo- I've lost my way here, uh, Mark. You see, other podcasts would edit this out, but uh, uh, possibly on the longer term. Yeah, possibly as a one-off, but this probably leads on to multiple times. I wonder how many matches been fixed or deliberately lost in the past. Any guess on a number? Well, no, but uh, you know, I'm sure I'm sure people have done it. Um, but anyway, if they're doing it now, they're going to get caught. Is, is what you're saying, and I agree with you. It says I'm compiling this, enjoying the Murphy and Milkins game, which is currently drawn at eight frames each. Let's hope we get some good matches to come this week. I missed the matchroom live snooker last week due to work commitments. I couldn't believe folk were complaining about paying a fiver for it. It's a bargain. I'm due back on shift for the World Championship, but there's no way work is getting in the way of that. Keep up the good work and great commentary. Really enjoying you and Ken. Well, that's I'll mention that to Ken. I'll be delighted, I'm sure. But um, thank you, uh, Mark. Well, just on the... It's interesting what you say about... You're right, absolutely right. Every workplace has complaints, and obviously we're a sort of public workplace in a way. I just hope that at the World Championship, it's not day after day of people moaning and complaining... This is our shop window, and we don't want to give the impression that the sport is in some sort of crisis, because it isn't. We have a problem, as you mentioned, with the, the match fix, and the inquiry will start during the World Championship. That needs to be stamped out. Clearly, it needs to be stamped out, and lessons need to be learned, and maybe some reflections need to take place about you know, the part that the sort of gambling plays in, in snooker, all of that. That needs to happen. But in terms of small moans and complaints, we could do without all that. Let's, just, let's celebrate the snooker, as far as I'm concerned. I find all the rest of it, frankly, pretty dull. And Mark also writes, uh, now you asked me here my opinions on the other snooker podcasts. I don't think it would be really be fair for me to <laughs> start talking about that. But, you know, there are a number of them now, and I'm sure there'll be more uh, coming online soon. I think there's a new BBC one called Snookered uh, from BBC Scotland. Of course, there's uh, Framed, is a BBC Essex production. We have, uh, of course, Talking Snooker, which uh, we have our Christmas special every year with Nick and Phil. Uh, the 147 podcast, which is Phil Seymour and Sean Murphy. Um, and the World Snooker Tour podcast, um, which I believe may be changing. Oh, no, no, not, not for me to talk about, but anyway. Uh, anyway, so, the, the, and there are others as well, I'm sure. There's, I know there's one, uh, very popular one in Germany, um, and, and various others, but, uh, I'm not gonna, it's not up to me to, <laughs> I've got no right to, to say what I think of them really. It's, it's up to, obviously, whoever does a podcast to do it in their own style, and if, if listeners enjoy them, that's great. And if not, well, there'll always, always be another one. Um, so, how new? Uh, Mike Miller. I think Mike is at last, but not certainly not least this week. It's Mike here from Toronto in Canada. I started listening to your podcast in the past year. Let me say I'm really enjoying it. Your blunt and honest assessment of all things snooker related is a refreshing approach. After hearing the rhetoric last week over the state of snooker, I was delighted to hear your explanation for low ticket sales at the Tour Championship, that it's a new venue, and for the fact that it's not being advertised enough. Your comment that there was almost a complete lack of advertising for the event, even around the venue, resonated with me. My wife and I have attended several snooker tournaments over the years, with the most recent being last year's Champion of Champions tournament in Bolton. We were so happy we got to see Ronnie's win live and Judd's perfect 147. We must have enjoyed it as we've just bought tickets to this year's tournament. However, like you, we were surprised by the almost complete lack of advertising with the event, even directly around the University of Bolton Stadium. We spent most of our free time hanging out in the big box retail area next to the stadium and ventured out of town as well. We could not recall a single interaction with a local who was aware a snooker tournament was being held at the stadium. Yet I'm certain these folks would have known if a football game was on. We found this completely bizarre, yet totally understandable, given the secrecy that World Snooker Tour seems to have brought to this event 
through lack of any notable physical advertising. I must just jump in there, sir, and Mike say that the Champion of Champions specifically is not a World Snooker Tour event. That's a matchup event. So, you know, let's not, let's not batter them too much. It wasn't actually their tournament. But anyway, continues. The town of Bolton must be delighted to have snooker or any other event, for that matter, held in its community as an obvious boost to the local economy. Why doesn't the World Snooker Tour work more closely with the local communities to promote uh, its tournaments? Ironically, the event advertising we did see along the street was, was for the Rugby League World Cup, which had already passed by that time. A missed opportunity for sure and a real shame. Well, just on a, on a general point, not just that tournament, but all of them. I mean, there are marketing budgets and... A lot of money is spent on digital marketing now, so like Facebook ads and all that sort of stuff. Uh, they're spent on radio advertising. Um, I do feel, I mean, people always say no one reads newspapers anymore. It's not quite true, is it? You know, it's not quite true. People actually do. Not in the numbers they used to, but, you know, you could still work with the local media. You know, all these areas have their local BBC ITV regional news programmes. So th- there are things that could be done. I think sometimes some old media is seen seen as old-fashioned, but it's still, you know, the way that most people actually do consume news. Even if you even if you sort of factor in social media, if you see something on Twitter, it's usually a link to something in old media. Um, so they have their place. Um, but uh, as I say, that things are changing a little bit in terms of the approach, and I think we're going to see sort of ramping up of things in, in, in the next couple of years with the n- new people coming on board. I, I haven't met them personally. I can't vouch for them or, or say anything about them other than from what I've heard with people who have meetings with them. They do have a plan and they do have ideas that they're bringing from other sports because they come from other sports. They have ideas to do what we all want, which is m- move the sport forward and make it as successful as it can be. Speaking of which, the World Championship is our, as I say, our shop window. So that I hope that everyone enjoys watching it. Good luck to all the players. The officials are going to be working long days. All the fans, if you're going to the Crucible or indeed the qualifiers, I hope you enjoy it. I'm sure you will. Um, if you're watching on television, wherever you are around the world, on streaming services, I hope firstly you can easily access the coverage and uh, it, and you enjoy it because, as we know, there's nothing like it. And the days can seem long, but it will soon be over. Uh, and then we'll have to wait another year. <laughs> so... We've heard our predictions, we've had all the chat around it, now the World Championship is underway and we will convene again. Now I'm not quite sure exactly when the next podcast will be, maybe after the draw, um, it may be before it. Some people say, well, you know, why are you wearing this dirty linen in public? Just just come back when you're ready, which I will do. Um, anyway, we'll be back before the Crucible and I'll certainly be looking at the first round draw. But uh, for now, that's it. If you want to email us, you can do snookerscenepodcast at mail.com. That's snookerscenepodcast at mail.com. But that is it. So for now, the World Championship is underway. But as we always say, goodbye bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. 
In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.